All right. Well, if you have a Bible, let's open up to Judges chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. One of the ushers will bring you one. Um, And you need an Old Testament, obviously, for this. So this is back in the Old Testament, Judges 21. And today we're going to finish the book of Judges. Uh, Lord willing, next week we start the book of Ruth. And so I'm really excited about that. But Judges has been a tremendous book. Um, And and it has a a lot of lessons for us. Do you guys remember the cycle of the book of Judges? Do you guys remember that? That there would be the disobedient people. And that disobedience would then lead to defeat in their life. That defeat would lead them hopefully to a point of despair where they would cry out to the Lord and then the Lord would deliver them. And so disobedience, defeat, despair, deliverance. And then you would figure, well, after the Lord delivered them, then they would be you know, on track, right? They'd stay on track. But what did they do, man? <laughs> It didn't take long before you know it, man. They're back off track. They're living a life of disobedience to God. And so then they would be defeated again, sometimes more severe, for longer periods of time. And, you know, then they would sink into this place. Finally, you know, thank God they would cry out in despair, and then God would deliver them. And you see that cycle seven times in the book of Judges. And it's really, you know, I think God telling us, obviously, what happened to the children of Israel uh, and what can happen to us. You know, God loves us and God has a plan for us. And ultimately, it's cool that we're his people. If you really do know the Lord, then you, when you die, you're going to go to heaven. But, you know, what about bringing God glory here on earth? What about that? What about living a life of sincere gratitude to the God who died for you? What about God using your life to help all the people that are lost? To help all the people that are hurting and broken? You see, we, we shouldn't, man, fall into this cycle of sin where disobedience leads to defeat and then defeat leads to despair and then, you know, God raises up a judge and delivers you. It doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to go up and down. We don't have to wander through the wilderness You know, from Mount Sinai to the Promised Land, it was an 11-day journey. 11 days to be where they should have been. But it took them 40 years. And it shouldn't have to be that way with us either. You know, if you've been walking with the Lord for more than 11 days, anybody here? Is that a curiosity? All right, you guys, you know what? Let's follow Him. Let's obey Him. Let's learn from the book of Judges. We see, you know, we learn from their lessons. But, you know, another thing that obviously stands out is not only how bad the people are, hopefully we learn from them, but you know what? How good God is. How good God is. You know, because when we fall and, and you cry out, you know, He doesn't have to deliver you, but He does. You know, and, and in the end, we're going to see that Jesus Christ is our ultimate deliverer. And in the end, it's that, you know, balance that we always find through the Bible that is so difficult sometimes to put your finger on. And if you think you got your finger on it, then you don't because there's just no way to really, you know, have a perfect balance. But that holiness that God calls us to, please, please don't ever forget that. He is holy, so we should be holy. And that grace, 
that grace that no matter where you're at tonight, no matter what you've done in your life, that the power of the blood of Jesus Christ can wash away your sins and forgive you and restore you and allow you to live life for Him. You know, the other day I was spending time with the Lord, and I know this is an old thing, but it just kind of hit me harder, you know. We don't, we don't behave in order to win His approval, but, but since we have His approval in Christ, we should behave. You know, and the Bible says that this is written so that we wouldn't sin. I pray that's your heart, because it always has ramifications Whatever you plant, you will always reap. But then it says, if we do sin, we have an advocate, huh? Jesus Christ, the righteous. I pray that that grace would be something that you would not abuse in your life. I pray that that grace would be used by God to transform you into men and women of integrity and character, not only in public, but in home, in your private life, in your words, in your thoughts, in your heart, so that God, when He looks at you, He can say about you and me, like He said about Job, that He's a blameless man, He's upright, He fears God, and He shuns evil. You see, that should be our testimony. You know, we learn this in the book of Judges, we learn it throughout the Bible. And today we finish it up here with really a sad, sad story. Because look what it says here in Judges chapter 21 in verse 1. It says, Now the men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mizpah, saying, None of us shall give his daughter to Benjamin as a wife. Now some of you here were here last week, or for some of you here, you're just kind of picking it up in the middle of the story. But what had happened was, um, you go back and, man, uh, the men of Benjamin, there was a village there that was just blatant in homosexuality. Uh, so much so that when a visitor traveled into town, you know, the, the men of the town who were all homosexuals, perverts, they surrounded the house, they knocked on the door and they said, hey, bring that man out to us so that we can have not just sex with him, homosexual sex with him. And so what ended up happening was the, the, the owner said no, you know, um, the Levite then gave them his concubine, kind of like a wife. They raped her all night long. All the men, they just raped her all night long. And then in the morning, she came up to the door and she died. Okay, so what ended up happening, the Levite says, get up. I guess, oh, she's dead. He puts her on his donkey, he takes her home. And he cuts her up into 12 pieces. He dismembers her body. He sends her to Israel. And the reason he does that is because he wants to awaken the people and say, Hey, man, there's this crazy things going on. None of this is right. This is just really what ends up happening when you and I, if we ever decide to live our own life. If we ever say, you know what, I don't want the Lord anymore. I'm going to do my own thing. It'll always get worse. You'll do things that you, you, you would have never thought you would do. And so, you know, the people of Israel, they come together and they're all against Benjamin. Who did this? And deliver the men who did this. And, and they wouldn't. And so there was a, a, a civil war between 11 tribes and the one tribe of Benjamin. And there was a, a, a story last week. We talked about it. There was more to it. But in the end, um, the, the men of Israel wiped out the Benjamites. And they only left 600 men left. They, they killed all the rest of the people. 
All the women, all the children, everyone else, there was only 600 men left. And, uh, and what we find is basically a tribe is on the verge of extinction. Now, during the whole process in Mizpah, the men of Israel said, we're going to make a vow right now that we'll never give the men of Benjamin any of our daughters as wives. And it was basically a rash vow. It wasn't something, none of this is led by the Lord. We're going to see this. None of this is led by the Lord. And it was a rash vow that they, they probably shouldn't have made. But um, I know we do that sometimes, right? And, and there's a lesson in this. Uh, and there's a few lessons in our story today. But again, look at verse 21. Now the men of Israel had sworn an oath and Mizpah, saying, None of us shall give his daughters to Benjamin as a wife. And so here's 600 guys of Benjamin, and they, they're not, they don't have a, a wife. They're not going to have a wife. They're going to they're gonna go extinct, right? And so one of the things that we read on here is that we are... We are to be so careful, you guys, not to make a rash oath or an empty promise to God. Uh, there's a good scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2. It says, Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth, therefore let your words be few. And so just be careful. Before you make promises to yourself, promises to your friends, promises to your spouse, promises to your children, maybe even promises to God. You know, make sure you're always spirit-led. They weren't spirit-led. They said, hey, we're not going to give them any of our daughters, right? But what do you do, though, if you do make a rash oath? You know, what do you do if you make an oath that would require you, in this case we see, to sin in order to keep it. You know, what do you do? You know, hey, yeah, I'm going to go get drunk with you next week. I promise, I promise, we'll go get drunk. All right? And it's really, that's silly, it's that silly. And so they're thinking, well, you know, we, uh, we, um, we, we got to keep it because it's a promise that we made. It's an oath that we made. We got to keep it. They got, they're going to sin in order to keep it. It's really a strange thing. And I just want to encourage you guys to know this, because I know some people are really weird when it comes to this, that um, if we make a rash oath that would require us to sin in order to keep it, we could, um, we could, you know, I guess you could say come out of that commitment. You know, if we're there in the heat of the moment and we say something that we shouldn't, God will not hold us to that, you guys. God's not weird like that. You know, there's a story, if you want to go over to 1 Samuel chapter 14. This is one of those guys that made a rash oath. His name is Saul. And we read here in 1 Samuel chapter 14. They're in the middle of a battle. Jonathan is leading. Jonathan is, is giving them the victory. It's such a cool thing. And in verse 24 it says, And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. And so none of the people tasted food. And so imagine that for a second. You're in war. Okay, you're in war. And your general says, nobody eat today. Cursed is the one who doesn't eat. Now, does that sound wise to you? No way, man. I say, give them some double-doubles, man. I say, you know, give them some, some steak, some protein, some, you know, carbs. I don't know. That's really a, a dumb, dumb oath, right? 
And so it says in verse 12, Now all the people of the land came to a forest, and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey dripping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath, and therefore he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it in a honeycomb, put his hand to his mouth, and his countenance brightened. Um, you know those energy drinks they have nowadays? The rock stars or whatever they're called? I don't, I don't know what they're called. I don't drink those. But, you know, basically he's all, man, this makes me feel so good. He had some, it's natural, it's honey, right? And so he's all happy. He's smiling, right? In verse 28, it says, And then one of the people said, oh, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were fain. But Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. Look how my countenance has brightened. He's all happy. Because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found. For now there would not have been a much would not have been a greater slaughter among the Philistines. And so, you know, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, you know, he made the oath, but then, you know, um, it wasn't a wise oath. Jonathan didn't know about it, but he had some honey, and he was thinking, man, that was kind of a silly thing for my dad to say. But anyways, what ends up happening is, uh, look what it says in verse 36. This is how the story unfolds. Now Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night, and plunder them until the morning light. And let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. And then the priest said, let us draw near to God here. And so Saul asked counsel of God. Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he, God, did not answer him that day. And so Saul said, Come over here, all you chiefs of the people, and know and see what this sin was today. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But not a man among all the people answered him. So, in other words, they wanted to ask counsel of the Lord, and, and the Lord didn't speak. And so Saul said, man, there's sin. There's sin in here. We're going to find out who's sin. Even if it's my son, Jonathan. If he's the offender, man, you know, they're going to die. And so he says in verse 40, then he said to all Israel, you be on one side, my son Jonathan and I will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. And therefore Saul said to the Lord, God of Israel, give a perfect lot. So Saul and Jonathan were taken. But the people escaped. And Saul said, cast lots between my son Jonathan and me. And so Jonathan was taken. And then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. So now I must die. Saul answered, God do so and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. Now, I know we didn't read the whole story, but Jonathan was the one who gave them the victory. Jonathan was the one who led them by faith. Saul made a rash oath, cursed is the man who eats any food. And Jonathan had a little honey, didn't even know about it. But, you know, it's kind of interesting to me how the Lord, he chooses Jonathan by lot. And, and basically what we're seeing right here is, is, yeah, there was this oath that was made by the leader of Israel. And God heard that oath. And yeah, it, it meant something. But in the end, we, we see that mercy would have been the wise choice. Saul was ready to give justice. Saul was ready to, to kill his son. Huh? Isn't that foolish, wouldn't you say? Very foolish, right? But what ends up happening in the next verse? But the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. 
As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head, I like that, shall fall to the ground. For he has worked with God this day. And so the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. Uh, and I guess what I'm trying to say is this. Number one, don't make a rash oath. Even to your kids. You, know, you, tell, your, you tell your kids, yeah, you know what, we're going to do this today, son. You know, today, you know, and, and, and you don't do it. That's not cool. That's not cool. You know, but what do you do if you've made a rash oath? Something that maybe afterwards, in retrospect, you know what, I shouldn't, I, I told you I was going to co-sign, you know, for you with that loan. And, and in retrospect, I don't think it's wise. The Lord kind of spoke to me. And you can back out of it. Why? Because sometimes those oaths are not of the Lord. See, back in Judges chapter 21, that's basically what was going on. They said that they couldn't give their wives to the men of Benjamin. And, uh, and so look what happens as a result of that rash oath. It says in verse 2 of Judges 21, And then the people came to the house of God and remained there before God till evening. They lifted up their voices and wept bitterly and said, O Lord God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel that today there should be one tribe missing in Israel? And so it was on the next morning that the people rose early and built an altar there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. You know, when you read the story, that part, want to know something, man? They look good. They look really good. They went to church. They went to the house of God. They were there till evening. Think about that. You come Sunday morning, they stay all day until evening. They were there all day long. And they were not ashamed, man. They were there lifting up their voices to God. They were crying. And they really, you know, pretended like they cared about the people. They cared about God. And then you even read right here that they woke up the next morning. They woke up early and they built an offer and they offered sacrifices, burnt offerings and peace offerings. You know, they looked really good, but they weren't. They weren't. And you know, just be so careful, you guys, that you're not all into your appearance. Like, oh, I hope that I look good in my religious uh, routines. And, and you're a different person. You're a different person at home. You're a different person in your heart. You know, I mean, just be really careful, you know, because we know how to do it. You've been doing it now for how many years now? And we know how we can open up our Bible and we can read and we can pretend like we're praying. We can go to church every single Sunday and every single Thursday. And you might even go other times and you might listen to Bible studies. And, you know, you might give money. But... You know, those are just like external religious things that anyone can do. Anyone. What about love? What about a heart of, of compassion and purity and mercy and justice? What about really walking with God? What about really hearing the voice of the Lord? Because I know this, that these guys right here, they did everything religiously right. But they were way, 
wicked. Like Jesus said, he said, you know what? These people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And all I'm saying is that just be so careful, you guys, that we don't, that we don't stay there. That if you are distant from the Lord and, and you're just kind of doing this whole thing to look good or to kind of go through the motions because you know the routine, you know, don't be content with that. You know, these guys, they were there, they were religious in a certain sense, but their religion in no way showed them the true way of God. These are people who are just going through the motions and they're pretending like they have a relationship with God, but they never really listen to Him to find out what His will is. Because look what happens in verse 5. The children of Israel said, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up with the assembly to the Lord? For they had made a greater oath concerning anyone who had not come up to the Lord and missed but saying, he shall surely be put to death. Look at that, all these oaths, man. And the children of Israel grieved for Benjamin, their brother. And they said, oh, one tribe is cut off from Israel today. What shall we do for wives for those who remain? Seeing we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them our daughters as wives. And they said, what one is there from the tribe of Israel who did not come up to Mizpah to the Lord? And in fact, no one had come to the camp from Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were counted, indeed not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead was there. And so the congregation sent out their 12,000 of their most valiant men and commanded them saying, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword, including the women and children. And this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every male and every woman who has known a man intimately. And so they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins who did not, had not known a man intimately, and they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Now, I don't know if you're following the story or not, but in a nutshell, there's 600 men that are hiding in a cave in Benjamin, and they have no wives. Okay, these guys, the children of Israel, the ones that killed all the rest of their tribe, they're kind of sad. Oh, they're going to die. Oh, what should we do? What should we do? And so they go to church and they offer the sacrifices and they're praying and they're, you know, asking. And, and then they say, well, well, I've got an idea. I've got an idea. Was there anybody who didn't join us for the battle? Oh, yeah, those guys over there on the other side of the Jordan. Jabesh Gilead, they didn't come. Hey, I've got an idea. Let's do this. Let's send 12,000 of, our, of our, our biggest, baddest dudes over there. The guys that, that can fight, man. And let's send them over there and let's kill them. Let's kill all the men. Let's kill all the women who have been married, all the children, all the little girls, all the little boys. Let's kill them all. And then we'll kidnap any, any virgins. Now, after having gone through all the sacrifices and the offerings and going to church and all that stuff, let me ask you a question. Do you think they heard from the Lord? No way. You know what they did? They did what, what we do a lot of times. They came up with a good idea. Oh, I got a good idea. I know what we could do. Well, wait a minute, right here in verse 7, this is what shall we do? They're asking, they're asking. 
And then in verse 8 it says, And they said, They weren't asking the Lord. Huh. And, and that's the problem. You know, we pretend like we're asking, but we're not really asking the Lord. We're not really waiting for His marching orders. You know, if they really spoke to the Lord, not pretending, but really intending to do God's will, then God would have told them either A, you know, let it be, man, just let them, they'll figure it out. Or he would have told them B, you know what, your vow was rash, come on, humble yourselves and, and give your girls to them. God would have never told them to kill innocent people like that and to kidnap these young maidens. I mean, the Bible says in Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not murder is part of the Ten Commandments. The Bible says in Exodus 21, verse 16, he who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he's found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. And so in the Bible, it was clear. God said you can't kill and you can't kidnap, right? But they weren't looking for the clear word of God. The nation of Israel ignored it. And they commissioned 12,000 men to worsen the sin by killing and kidnapping. And this is after they had prayed. You know, something that's interesting, you guys, look at verse 3. And said, O Lord God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel? That today there should be one tribe missing in Israel. What word is repeated there? Israel, Israel, Israel. You know, and, and when I read that, it kind of jumped out at me. You know, God, they, they were trying to say, maybe God was even speaking to them, but Israel, remember when that all started? Do you remember? What had happened was God had taken a guy, his name was Jacob. God took a guy who was a manipulator, a guy who was a conniver, a guy who would come up with good ideas to get his own way. And God changed his name. God changed him from Jacob, heel catcher, conniver, manipulator, guy who does your own things and comes up with your own ideas. God changed him to Israel. And that name Israel, it's kind of a hard thing to figure out. Some say it means prince of God. Some say it means ruled by God. Some say it says uh, rule with God. All I know is this, it has God in there though, all over the place, right? The word El is God, right? Daniel, Manuel, Samuel, we all have God in our names. It's kind of cool. Israel, it's got God in it. And all I'm saying is this, that, you know, they were acting more like the old man than they were the new man. They went back to their old ways. And when you become a Christian, you guys, that's not the way it should work in your life. That's not the way it should work in our life. You know, we should allow the Lord... To lead us. And we pray and we get in these situations and we wait on the Lord to hear from Him so that He can give us marching orders. You know, we don't want to go and act like Jacob when God has named us Israel. I mean, we don't want to just pretend we're praying. You don't want to pretend you have a relationship with God, do you? I mean, either you do or you don't. Either you talk to Him and He talks to you and there's a relationship. Or you don't. You know, and, and I guess sometimes, you know, you know somebody. And have you ever met somebody that they do all the talking? Any of you like that? <laughs> That's, don't, don't be that way all right, anymore. But, you know, it's good to have a two-way conversation. 
You know, and all I'm saying is this, in your relationship with the Lord, yeah, you talk to Him, you talk to Him, you can talk to Him, and give Him a chance to talk to you too. Give Him a chance to, that still small voice of the Holy Spirit, and you listen to Him. You know, we're living in a, in a time, and, and basically, here in America, I'm reading this book right now, Sean gave me this incredible book, it's called Numb. We are living in a time where we are numb. We are so distracted with so many things. It could be your computer. It could be your phone. It could be your television. It could be a million things, uh, the media. And we are so distracted that we don't hear the voice of the Lord a lot of times. And, and we're, like, we're like walking zombies sometimes. We're so numb to the voice of God. And we pretend like we're praying. You know, and we say we're Christians and we got the bumper sticker, we got the, you know, the t-shirt and we raised our hand and all that kind of stuff, but we're not really waiting on the Lord. You know, and we come up with good ideas or we think they're good ideas because we're so blind sometimes. That's what they were doing. They went and they and they killed, you know, I I got a good idea. That reminds me of I Love Lucy, man, when she would come up with her, with her ideas, you know, and then you could see it in her eyes, right? And then, and then what was her name, Ethel? Yeah. Ah, I don't know. <laughs> That's how we are. We're like that. Uh, you guys, we're not supposed to act on ideas that pop into our brain. Okay, that doesn't mean it's God. The devil could put thoughts in your brain. We don't act on ideas that pop into our brain. We need to act on God's word and God's will. And he plants these things in our heart. You know, we have the word of God that would tell us it's wrong to kill and it's wrong to kidnap. You know, and we need to follow that. You know, maybe you're here today and you don't know the Bible. Well, I encourage you to begin to study this with all your heart. This right here, when you learn this word, it will make the simple wise when you learn the Bible. And you may not know the Bible and it's going to take you time to learn it, but it's worth it. Turn off the television, get into the Word. You know, or, or maybe you get to know somebody who does know the Bible and they'll give you godly counsel. And then you get to know someone who knows the Word and you ask them, not that they control your lives or tell you what to do, but they show you the Word and the Scriptures that apply to your situation. Because otherwise you might end up like these guys right here. And you might murder more innocent people. And kidnap wives. What shall we do? Oh, they said in verse 8, this is what we should do. Really, we'll see that again. They're just talking to themselves. And so we read in verse 13. Then the whole congregation sent word to the children of Benjamin, who were at the rock of Rimen, and announced peace to them. And so Benjamin came back at that time and they gave them the woman whom they had saved alive, the woman of Jabesh Gilead. And yet they had not found enough for them. And the people grieved for Benjamin because the Lord had made a void in the tribes of Israel. Again, they make peace with the 600 surviving brethren from Benjamin. They give them the woman that they've kidnapped. But the problem is they're 200 women short, Right? And so we read in verse 15 that they're grieving again. But you know something that's interesting, you guys? Look again at verse 15. And the people grieved for Benjamin. 
Because the Lord had made a void in the tribes of Israel. You know, and I don't know, when I was reading that right there, I was thinking, Lord, you know, sometimes we grieve over the sinner, and there's a place for that. But you know what? There's a better place to grieve over the sin. Grieve over the sin. You know, I guess in one sense, if you want to, I know some of you here, you like to write things down. One point is this. They clung to the wrong word. They clung to the wrong word. They were clinging to their own vow and their own promise rather than clinging to the promise of God. That's one. Secondly, they cried for the wrong reason. They cried for the wrong reason. You know, Benjamin, you know, yes, our heart is always compassionate for anybody and everybody. But you want to know something? Benjamin didn't repent. I mean, they didn't. It's okay to cry over the, the sinners, but I think it's better to cry over the sin. And not just their sin. My sin. My sin. You know, I think that if we look deeper, and I know a lot of times we like to blame everybody else, but, you know, when you're really in the presence of the Lord, and you look at your own heart, I know when I look at my own life, there's plenty to cry about. And one of the things that I see whenever I read the Bible is that whenever God does a revival, there's people weeping over their sins. Whether it's Nehemiah, whether it's Ezra, whether it's Paul the Apostle. And I just see them clinging to the wrong word and I see them crying for the wrong reason. You know, the Bible says to examine yourself. I don't think we do this enough. I think when we go to pray, you know, we ask for things. We ask for things. And that's cool to ask for things. And, and you know, um, there's a place for that, you know. And we even intercede for others, and that's great. But take, take some of that time, too, just to examine your own heart, your own life. And what it does is it brings us to that place of humility, it brings us to that place of repentance. Because unless we repent, we really can't be forgiven in a, in a practical sense. We really need to get our lives right. You know, I love that psalm. I'm sure you've heard it a million times. Psalm 119, verse 136. It says, rivers of water run down from my eyes. Because men do not keep your law. Can you imagine that? The psalmist is just crying over the sin. And, and these guys, you know, they're not crying over the sin. It, nowhere in the story, and you go back to chapter 20, you go back to chapter 19. Man, no one's sorry for their sin. They're just plowing forward. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2, And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he has done this deed. We need to mourn over these things. These guys right here, they teach us a lesson in things that they do, things that they don't do. 
We see that they clung to the wrong word, they cried for the wrong reason. Their third thing is they counseled in the wrong direction. Because look what happens here in verse 16. It says, And then the elders of the congregation, they said, What shall we do for wives for those who remain, since the women of Benjamin have been destroyed? And God said, No, I'm just joking, it doesn't say that, huh? It says, And they said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin, that a tribe may not be destroyed from Israel. However, we cannot give them wives from our daughters, because we're weird, right? <laughs> For the children of Israel sworn an oath, saying, Cursed be the one who gives a wife to Benjamin. And they said, In fact, hey, I've got another idea. There's a yearly feast of the Lord in Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Lebona. Therefore they instructed the children of Benjamin, say, Go lie in wait in the vineyards like a lion, man, and watch. And just when the daughters of Shiloh come out to perform their dances, then come out from the vineyards and every man catch a wife for himself. Oh man, from the daughters of Shiloh. Then go to the land of Benjamin. And then it shall be when their fathers or brothers come to us to complain that we will say to them, be kind to them for our sakes because we did not take a wife for any of them in the war for it is not as though you have given the woman to them at this time, making yourselves guilty of your oath. Crazy, huh? Imagine that if my, my son came up to me one day and said, Dad, what do you think? How should I get a wife? You know? I've got an idea. Just go over there, Mio, and just watch, man. When the girls come out, the one that you see is the prettiest, man, just go kidnap her, eh? You know? <laughs> I mean, imagine how crazy that is, right? And this is after they, you know, supposedly went to church and they, and they, and they offered sacrifices and they did all their offerings and they were religious but they weren't really hearing from the Lord, right? This is after the, oh, I'm going to be a man of my word. I'm going to be a man of my word. I made a vow to God. I can't break the vow. And so here you are. Imagine that. Your daughter, my daughter, she's 18 years old, you know, and she's waiting on the Lord. Imagine one day some hoodlum comes in, you know, and, 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 I, and, and I never see her again. Imagine how wicked this is. Imagine how evil this is. And it's, it's just a place that people will go when the Lord is really, He's not really the Lord of our life. And so here they are. You know, you guys probably heard that story. What's that guy's name? Is it W.C. Fields? Is that his name? You guys remember W.C. Fields? I remember one time he was reading his Bible. It's a story about him reading his Bible. And some people came in on him and they were surprised that, that he was reading his Bible. And so they, they, they asked him about it. Hey, I didn't know you read the Bible. And, and Mr. Fields said, I didn't know that you were watching me. And he says, I'm just reading it, looking for loopholes, right? <laughs> and that's what they were doing here. They were looking for loopholes. Okay, we made this vow. How can we get around it? Oh, I've got an idea. And then technically speaking, we'll be all right, right? It's crazy. What's the real reason for all this? It's a simple thing. In verse 23, they, they followed through. It says, And the children of Benjamin did so. They took enough wives for their number from those who danced whom they caught. And then they went and returned to their inheritance and they rebuilt the cities and dwelt in them. And so the children of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. They went out from there, every man to his inheritance. 
In those days, there was no king in Israel. Here it is, you guys. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we see that in chapter 17, verse 6, chapter 18, verse 1, chapter 19, verse 1. It was really the tag of, of judges that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We see here that they clung to the wrong word. They cried for the wrong reason. They counseled in the wrong direction. And we see the main reason here is because they crowned the wrong king. Who did they crown as king? Themselves. Right? Every man did what was right in his own eyes. You know, and I know we want to do that, but you guys, we, we got to make sure that we understand that that will ruin us. I really pray that the Lord God would be the leader of your life, the king of your life. Remember Proverbs 14.12, Proverbs 16.25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And so don't just think, well, yeah, I think that's the right thing to do. I, I think it is. You know, ask God. And search the scriptures. And if you don't know for sure, ask somebody who knows the Bible. Really let the Lord lead your life. Let the Lord be the king of your mind and your heart and your body. Your soul, when you're young, your tongue, your ears, your hand, your feet, your every day, your every way, your every moment in time. Don't commit the crime of crowning yourself the king. If you're here today as a Christian... I think for a lot of us here, what's happened over time is we've taken the, the crown off of Jesus, off of the Lord Jesus, and we put it back on ourselves. And what God is saying, just with all your heart, you just take it off your own head and you put it back on Him and you let Him be the King of your life. Because uh, that's what we got to do, surrender that's not just a, a cliche word. Think about that word for a second. Surrender. Surrender. Okay, we've got to surrender to the Lord again and again. If you're a Christian, and if you're not a Christian here today, my encouragement to you um, is for the first time in your life, crown Him as King. You know, realize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus Christ loves you. He died for you. And what you need to do is make a decision to follow Him, to repent of your sins. Jesus said, If any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will find it. This is not you know, something real simple. It's a, it's a total decision to let the Lord be the Lord of your life. You know, Judges, in the end, it's a story of the terrible place that people end up without the Lord. But it's also a story of amazing grace where people end up with the Lord, huh? Because the people of God, you know, it wasn't over yet, huh? It was just halftime. In one sense, you know, uh, God was going to do a new work in Israel, and, um, and I'm so glad that, you know, Benjamin did experience that grace because uh, through the tribe of Benjamin, we got who? The Apostle Paul, huh? 
Pretty cool dude, huh? God's grace is amazing in our life, you guys. He's the God of uh, the second chance. And so maybe you need a second chance here tonight. Thank God for that. Don't abuse that. But let's let's use that. Let's let's enter into that. And Father, we thank you for allowing us to study your word. And it's weird. It's a weird story, Lord, just to read all these things about them. And yet I know in my own life, Father, I can do things that are weird too. When I forget who I am, when I forget that I'm I'm God's son, that that Jesus, you live in me. And so, Lord, I pray uh, for my brothers and sisters here, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts, Lord, and that we would really, really uh, learn, Lord God, not to cling to the wrong word, and, and Lord, not to cry for the wrong reason, Lord, and not to counsel in the wrong way, and especially not to crown the wrong king. Lord Jesus, I pray that I would speak for everyone here tonight. You are the king. Lord Jesus, you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I do pray that we would have a heart to live as your people. Thank you again for your word. Please, Lord, do a great work in every beautiful heart here, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name.